Meyer, the cracking lineup: Janine Gaman and Victoria Thornley, Sanita Pasquier, Cara Cola, Emma Twig, and Carling Zeman making up the lineup for this medals final in the women's singles. Victoria Thornley, slighter build, using those levers. Red Ritter, Ireland. Such a good athlete as well. New Zealand. Boy, he held them on the start for a long time. Vicky Thornley got out to a great uh, first couple of strokes. You said it, Martin, a jump from Victoria Thornley up there in lane two. And she's leading this one at this very early stage. And uh, Emma Twig from New Zealand going with her. She's done something special, Victoria Thornley, and maybe she's talked that over with the coach Paul Reedy, but uh, this is unexpected from the British Scarlet Cat. Yeah, she's already qualified for the Olympics, so in some ways that's job done. And uh, here, just racing for the medals, perhaps there's a bit of relaxation there, slightly different um, approach to this race from her. With Victoria Thornley, and she has a look to her left. She will see she's at 33 strokes a minute. I guess she has looked to find her rhythm after that fast start, get into something that she can sustain. But she will see Sunita Paspira beside her. She will settle into that 35 strokes a minute or so, and then I'm sure will be relentless. Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion, winning, to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a role passion. Great passion, fiction, ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another epic interview with uh, with myself, Lawrence Britton and of course I've got Mr. Green. How are you doing, Jake? What's up, Lawrence? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's good to be back and uh, we are releasing the second part of Victoria Thorny today. Uh, we're really excited about this one. We're going to get into you know, the rest of her racing at Rio, her transition to sculling and um, more conversations around the training and the overtraining that she had uh, in recent years. Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, 2020 has been the Rocho's year of the singles. We've uh, chatted to so many single scholars this year, and it's been really, really cool to get in-depth info and like conversations about the the single skull because uh, the single is such a unique boat class. It requires a very unique kind of person to uh make the single work and and enjoy rowing in the single so yeah part two of vicky thorny if you haven't listened to to part one i would definitely suggest if this is the first time you're listening to the row show go back listen to part one uh and then come back to to this part two and you know part one we've kind of finished off with uh rio and like just starting the the rio story and then this part two we carry on the rio story and then go through the transition into the uh, 2020 Olympic cycle where uh, Vicky really commits to the the single and then moves on and and with her eyes firmly set on the single at the the Tokyo uh, Olympics. So yeah, really really interesting. Jake, any anything else you wanna you wanna add about the the episode we got? Well, besides the what we've already spoken about, don't forget we've got the the always present quick fire questions, which are you know always a big highlight of the show. 
And yeah, besides besides that, it's just uh, another good interview. I uh, really chatted, enjoyed chatting to Vicky, especially, you know, her talking about her training and the trouble she's had. I think, you know, that's quite a unique perspective. We haven't had many guests on the show talk about. I know Kim Brennan spoke a little bit about, you know, a bit about the overtraining, but it's nice to hear Vicky go a little bit more in depth with it. And I'm sure there are a lot of athletes out there that may have experienced something similar. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this uh, part two of the the interview because we kind of move away from like just the general racing and uh and kind of results orientated questions into like a kind of deeper uh more i don't know uh more about the training and more about the kind of in-depth stuff about the rowing and yeah vicky goes quite in depth on the the over training that she suffered in uh when was that 2017 and 2018 and then kind of how she managed to come back and then uh, really put herself right back into the mix in the women's single in 2019. So, yeah, all in all, what an epic episode. And I definitely think uh, it was worth uh, splitting this into two parts because, uh, you know, just to give everyone some fresh ears for for part two because there's a lot of gold and a lot of wisdom that uh, comes through in this episode. Uh, Just some housekeeping before we get going. Uh, please guys remember to to share the show tell your mates about it tell your friends uh, get some more people listening to the show it's really uh, really helps us if those numbers start to to come up and allows us to to keep continually uh, put out good content for you guys and we've got some really cool episodes coming up in the next few weeks a big shout out to world rowing for uh, letting us use their race commentary for the start of our episodes yeah, guys, don't forget to go support us, um, like Lauren said, on, on our social feeds. And also, you can also support us on our PayPal account. It goes a long way in helping us improve the quality of the show and keep the show growing so we can more reach more listeners out there. And you guys uh, supporting us is uh, the biggest the biggest part of that journey. But otherwise, enjoy the, enjoy the episode, everyone. Yeah, that's it. Enjoy the show, guys. Sure, that is so awesome, and it's so cool to, to to hear you speak about the race. I mean, it's, and it was very weird reading up and, and watching and watching your race because you raced the race after I raced. So, uh, and I remember when I watched my race, and obviously we watched it a few times and stuff. It doesn't look that rough anymore. I watch it and I'm like, okay, it's it's a bit windy, it's a bit rough. And then when I watch your race, <laughs> it looks so so windy. <laughs> So it was kind of like a, a reminder that actually how bad the, that weather was and how bad that first K of the race was. And I mean, when you're sitting on that start line and you, you think of the race, I mean, for me, that's the worst part of the race. And you, you touched on it a bit there where like the nerves and the, the fears all before the race. Like once the race starts and you get going, it's quite straightforward. You get kind of caught up in the, in the actual competition, in the race itself whereas that waiting time before is where like you have that time to let your mind wander and and that that kind of the fear can can creep in so yeah was, was you all like were you the most uh, nervous for the race before you got on there where you were talking about uh, having a tear or was it a bit later on the start line and and where how did you manage how what is the self-talk uh, on the on the start line yeah i mean I think probably the worst time is waiting for when you're sat on a start like waiting for the two minutes and then waiting for the you know the roll call and also before you get on the water because you're not once you're on the water you've got control haven't you and you're going through the process of your warm-up and the thing that you practice so many times before and um but I definitely have a now I've established a really clear routine and of what I go through before I get on the water and then um 
how I deal with um, the nerves and things that come into my head on the start line. Um, so I literally, because often when you're nervous before you get on the water, you know, you might forget what your, your plan is. So I, often, I just literally write it down and it's, it's the same thing every time, but I just do it, you know, um, however many minutes before the race, I have a structure as to basically what I do um, and have a period of, you know, uh, visualization and then like starting to warm my body up. And so it's very much about warming up my body, but also warming up my mind and going through the same process every single time. And um, I'd only really started to explore that properly in 2016 season. And that's something I've carried on with um, since then. It's, it's really impactful and it's really helped um, just have that, you know, just trying to be really present on the start line. Cause often with adrenaline, I'm sure you guys have the same thing, you know, you start thinking really crazy stuff or, you know, it could just be really unhelpful things or it could be like races you've had before and previous experiences or what might happen in this race and all those things that, you know, aren't going to help in terms of taking the first stroke and the second stroke and the third stroke. Um, it's, you know, the most important thing on the start line is being present and in the moment and, that takes that's taken a lot of practice and I've done a lot of um meditation and mindfulness um practice to help with that and that you know that's really helped um keep my mind clear and calm on the start line um so that's something that I um kind of practice you know away from racing to to embed it so it becomes more natural and um when it comes when it comes to racing sure awesome stuff and then and then, I mean, to come away with the with the result that you, you that you did, and, and and to execute the race. I mean, it must have been so nice and, and such a uh, a nice one to finish off on on Rio, where it's like 2012. You hadn't executed the race that you wanted, and I feel, or at least watching the race, it looks like you guys really left everything on the on the water and, and really executed almost your your perfect race uh, for the for the Rio game. So. Yeah, I mean that last two, two or five hundred meters. You know, you you having this dice with uh, with Poland, and it's so tight, and you you know you kind of pushed everyone else off. So it's just a race for for first and second, and I mean crossing the finish line, coming away with uh, an Olympic medal must have just been uh, really really awesome for you uh, over after all the years of, of of hard work that you that you guys have put in. Yeah, it was amazing. And I remember vividly ha having the medal put around my neck and the medals in Rio were incredible. They were huge and really heavy. And I remember the weight of it and just thinking, God, that's the weight of everything that, you know, it was taken to get here and all that um, kind of the ups and downs and the the work and everything that had gone into that into that day. And um, that was a very vivid memory for me on the on the podium. And it was great, and I and it was also I felt great that it, Catherine had come come back, taking obviously kind of a big risk. You know, she'd she'd won three silvers and gone to London and had you know the dream result in terms of you win gold at your home games. I mean, you can't it, it doesn't really get much better than that. Um, and then she decided to come back for more because she's the most incredible competitor and loves the sport and and wanted more and. Um, so for her to have come back and kind of risked, um, returning after, you know, having, having a dream result in, in Rio and in London, sorry, I felt like we didn't win, but it was, it was a, it was a great showing of what we could do. And, um, she had another, a fifth Olympic medal to her, to her name, which was, you know, just deserved. So 
it was great from that perspective as well. You know, it was her fifth and it was my first. So it was kind of, it was quite, um, it was a very different um, experience for us both, I guess, in terms of um, it being my first one. But um, yeah, it, incredible experience and something, you know, I'll never forget. And the lessons I learned and the experiences I've had with the athletes that I've raced with up until that point, they were all massive part of, of that result because without them and the lessons I'd learned from all of those athletes that I've, you know, trained with, raced with, been in the same team with, um, it was all part of that, the, the, the learning and my development to that point. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a great end to that, end to that project, if you like, and that, and that Olympiad. Yeah, that's so awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, on those medals, uh, my, my crewmate, Sean, he said, uh, he always thought people were bowing when they, when they received the medals on the, on the podium, but in fact, <laughs> the medals are so heavy, it just pulls you down. Um, yeah. But moving on now, like, to, to 2017, I mean, it doesn't look like you, you kind of uh, took the, the foot off the, the gas at all because you kind of had this awesome year in 2016 and then you just moved on uh, into 2017 and had this uh, almost breakout year in the single where you, you really found your form and kind of carried on that, that speed that you found in the, in the real year. And, you know, a string of, of medals at Europeans and, and the World Cups and then uh, and, and ending with a, and a silver medal at the World Champs. It must have been such a cool transition and, and such a cool season for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a dream first season in the single. And um, so after Rio, I did actually take quite a while um, off. Uh, so normally we take like two months after Olympics, after London, I took two months. Um, and then after Rio, I didn't know whether I wanted to carry on till Tokyo. Um, so I actually had took until uh the new year to kind of decide um and also i knew if i was going to go back i needed a longer break because 2016 for a lot of reasons had been a very stressful year um and so i i just needed to go for another four years i know i needed a i needed a break um and i kept pretty fit in that period and i did quite a lot, lot of running and uh, i did um i did, did some sculling i did some cycling i just was doing i, I love training and i love um, keeping in shape so I just was doing it for enjoyment rather than you know a specific reason if you like and just um, exploring different modes of training and things like that um, but I definitely there was a lot of things I needed to, um, to go through in terms of like a little bit of politics within the team and um, coaching as well um, so my coach for Rio had been Paul Thompson who's the chief coach um, but we didn't have the best relationship and a lot of my day-to-day -day training was quite stressful because of that. Um, and I knew if I was going to carry on for another four years, I my day-to-day -day had to change. Um, and that meant I had to change coach. Um, so there was a lot to kind of consider um, whether I wanted to want if I wanted to carry on for another four years. That you know, it's a big commitment. And in rowing, you very rarely carry on for just a year. You know, you're signing up for four years of your life, and that you know, it's a big commitment. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, not least, you know, um, my, he's my husband now at the time, my partner, Rick, he'd finished rowing in London. Um, and he, you know, he'd been still kind of <laughs> through me, been living uh, a little bit of the rowing lifestyle still in terms of you can only go on holiday at certain times of the year. And so, you know, and he was obviously behind whatever decision I wanted to make. So I was really lucky in that. He said, you just do what 
you want to do and you don't you don't finish until you're ready to finish um but there's you know there's all there's lots of things to consider um in terms of how it's going to affect your life and but fundamentally i was like i know that i've got more to give and i know that i haven't reached my potential yet um so i don't want to finish without having done that so that was inevitably the reason why i continued for towards tokyo um but like i said i had to change my day-to-day environment um to make it um doable really and um more enjoyable so um i spoke with who's my coach now paul reedy um because reedy had done some coaching with me uh, in the double um and previous years and i am i love the way he coached i love his like his eye and just the way he is with his athletes he's very personable um he cares about you as an athlete as well as about the results so um i really kind of wanted a coach like that and so i asked him if he would be first i obviously asked to ask him if he would be happy to coach me and then it was about broaching the subject with our uh, performance director who at the time was david tanner um and i said i want to come back um but i don't you know i want to change my um my coach and i want to be coached by by reedy and i'm coming back because i want to do the single and he and i said i know i need to win the trials to be able to do the single but that's my that's my aim and basically that's the terms i want to come come back and go for tokyo on and um around about where he said you know i support that for now but you know you, you do have to perform and you have to win the trial and then you have to be quick enough and and all that so it i kind of had to sort out a lot of the kind of practicalities if you like about it um and then and then um and then go forward from from january so the january was when i first where i started up training full-time again i actually started the the squad had gone on camp but i started back up at my club uh, in meander just on the river for two weeks and it was great actually a great way to start full-time training again just getting out on the river being with the club athletes um it's a really high performance environment but it's a really fun environment as well so it was a really nice way to get back into it Uh, and then i joined the team once they were back from their january camp and kind of it went kind of went from there and it was a massive learning year. Like Reedy's got a great, a great eye and he really adapts his coaching to the athlete he's, co- he's coaching. So obviously I'm pretty tall at six, just over six foot three. And um, I'm more of a, an endurance athlete rather than a power athlete. So um, he, had, you know, he really understood my strengths and how to bring out the best, um, the best of me at that point. Um, obviously we, we worked on making me stronger in lots of different areas, but it was like at that point, you know, technically what are the key things to work on? And he just made me a lot more in tune with the boat and gave me a real more understanding about um, the technique and the way the boat ran. So I've learned so much in the last four years from him in terms of um, the nuances around the around the stroke and how the boat travels and, and that kind of thing, which has been, which has been great because um, we can have some really in-depth conversations about around that. So that's, that's really enjoyable. And so yeah, 2017, you know, I, the, the the plan was to do the single um, for the Olympiad, but 2017 was about finding out whether I was fast enough realistically to to pursue the single for for Tokyo. Um, and yeah, I had a I had a great great year and some amazing results. And um, it kind of it kind of went the best it kind of could really. Obviously, I didn't end up winning the the worlds, but coming away with a silver medal, it'd been something I'd dreamt about. Um, thinking, you know, one day I'd love to be fast enough to be winning a medal at a World Championships in the single skull, and and then it, it, it happened in 2017. So, yeah, it was it was a great it was a great year. Yeah, it definitely was an amazing year, and it 
it seemed like your your experience from the last two years of 2015-2016 of racing um, in the double and racing at the games had definitely changed your you know your your attitude or rather your you know definitely you were a better rower for it because I mean in 2014 you did some time in the single and then the next time you're in a single three years later you had you you know you're competing for the gold medal at the top of your game. And coming away with a silver medal in uh, 2017, again, was a phenomenal race. And it was really incredible to watch. Um, but obviously, moving forward, you had some difficulty in 2018 with, um, you know, overtraining syndrome. And, you know, we, we are both really interested to hear uh, you talk about this because Lawrence and I have also battled with various, uh, the same thing. You know, we also took time off after 2017 and 2018 because we had been battling with the same thing. So... You know, I'm really interested to hear. You know, the you know what 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 was happening that you started um, suddenly your your performance was decreasing, and you know what were the the red flags that started popping up in 2018, um, and just chat to us a bit about that. Yeah, um, it's a great question because I think a lot of rowers um, have suffered from it or do suffer from it at periods in their career because of the nature of the sport. And definitely off the back of 2017, I was like, that was a great year. Um, but I didn't, the, the early winter, you know, October to December, I wasn't training full time. So I was like, okay, to win the goal, I just need to train harder and had this literally so blinkered. I mean, I'm blinkered at the best of times, but really blinkered approach to just being like, I'm just going to train as hard as possible and do as much mileage as I can. And not that that was any necessarily much different from any other year, but I really was, that was the singular focus all about physicality. Um, and that was what, that was, that's where I believe that I was lacking. So it was very much about right physical physicality. And that means, you know, a lot of training and hard training and, and, and also I probably didn't give the respect to the single, uh, that I should have done because doing all the mileage and doing the program in the single, um, you know, it does take it out of you, um, more just because the sessions take longer, 20 K in a single, compared to a quad you, you know you're talking 15 20 minutes longer so that kind of stuff adds up and sometimes you need to give the single the respect of um of that a little bit um but in terms of 2018 the initial winter period i was in great shape i did a a pb on my 5k in january and felt like i was absolutely flying um and then got ill in february um which touch wood it was it rare but it was like the the worst illness i've ever had like i had a chest infection but i'd never actually had a chest infection before so it was a very new thing for me and i kept trying to just push through it um thinking i, I didn't normally get ill like getting annoyed that i wasn't able to train um and then fi- finally got better but it was a couple of weeks and i missed a training camp which was the first training camp i'd missed through something like that um and so then felt like i was on I felt like I had to catch up, which you can never catch up with training. You just have to accept that you've lost a couple of weeks and move on from it. Um, and that was probably the start of the the downward spiral, if you like. Um, uh, so I had trained really hard up until Christmas and then, and, and then was in really good shape in January. And then that illness knocked me back. And, and then I never really came back from that in a way because I kept just grinding and grinding. And I trained hard up until the first World Cup. And I think I was already really um in the kind of the trough you know there's pizza troughs of training and that's the whole point of it but i was in the trough and i never really came out of it and went to the first race um obviously really really fatigued and had to race like maps who guts out and i think finish fifth um 
And then obviously once you're in the cycle of the World Cups, you've only got three weeks between races. If you're, you know, it's enough time to recover from the race, do a bit of training and then go for the next one. But if, because I was so far, um, kind of, because I was quite far down the road of fatigue, I wasn't able to come back out again for the next regatta. And there was warning signs like my body was telling me in different ways um, that I wasn't right. And I kind of, I kind of was, kind of ignoring it and or more just thinking I've trained so hard I should be faster than this and like analyzing video for hours thinking what is it that I'm not doing right because the, the spe- I, there should be more speed for the work that I've done and you know thinking okay so is it technique or and um, because really like my speed at like low rate and my UT2 scores and all the ergo stuff was wasn't that far off but it was when I tried to go up to higher rate into racing that's where the power just was lacking um but it's kind of like um i'm get, if you guys have had it as well it's not it's not massively obvious initially until you've really got to the point where there's kind of like no return so yeah. but it was henley racing henley which was um the real um the point where i was like okay something isn't really isn't right and that's when i spoke to the doctor um and gave her some of my symptoms and and she was like okay yeah your body has been telling you for a while it's not right um so we need to go on a recovery program for a couple of weeks um, so then I missed racing the Europeans and had a recover, like did, did, did some le- like less training for two weeks, but it didn't, it didn't really make any, any impact at all. Um, and I just remember this one ergo, it was just like, just do 12 case steady in this recovery period. And it literally felt like every cell was like exhausted in my body. And I just, I just wanted to stop. Um, and that's not a feeling that I really ever have um so that was the point where i was like okay i think we've just come that's we've come to the point where i ne- I just need to break um which was difficult because i was a bit like how can i be how could i've done this i'm an experienced athlete and you know i've pushed my limits before i've been on the edge of this before you know how could i've been you know how could i've made this mistake if you like i was kind of annoyed at myself that i let myself get to this point um and but it was that that was the decision that at that point it was like okay we're gonna have to call it time on this season and just um and just have a rest period and I was thinking oh the doctor will probably say you know two weeks no no training and I was like okay I probably could I could deal with two weeks and then she's like yeah a month and I was like what I couldn't get my head around not doing anything for two for a month um so that it took me a while to try to get my head around not being able to do any training for months because you know, I'm just going to get so unfit and all these things go through your head. Um, but, but I actually needed a month in the end to recover. Yeah, it's, it's such a tricky place though because, you know, and I mean, I, you touched on it in your, in your blog and it's like, you know, as an athlete, you're supposed to be tired. It's not an unusual place to, to, you know, get through a week and, and actually feel like there's nothing left and then have to do another week on it. And, you know, it's kind of, quite normal to to feel like pretty bad most of the time you know it's only you know a couple times yeah. a year where you get to to recover properly and, and and race at your best and you know it's it's a very difficult thing i think to learn your body and, and know where where the line is on on what you or what the limit is and, and where you need to back off and where you need to push on absolutely and like like you say it's, it is a line and it's a fine line of being if you're not training hard enough, you're not going to be adapting and getting quicker. But then equally, if you train too hard for too long, then you're going to go the opposite way. And in a sport like rowing, which demands a lot of training, 
um yeah it is a really fine line to to tread um i just got it really wrong that year <laughs> unfortunately um so yeah it was a, a tough lesson to learn but um it, a lesson all the all the same and i think you know whatever situation you find yourself in you just make make sure that you come out of it you know having learned the lesson and don't make the same mistake twice yeah 100 percent. and uh, it's you know it was just you know for me it was just the, the hardest thing was being told that you have to you have to take time off you mm-hmm. have to you cannot train like that for me was i i literally i mean i, I didn't the, the hardest thing was i didn't want to do it and despite the fact that you know performance was suffering and my ergo scores were absolutely trash and you know that was a really difficult thing to go to but anyway you you made you you recovered from that and going into 2019 you know that was you know it was a big year 2019 because it's an olympic qualification year and the women's single is massive in 2019 you had you know a couple couple names coming back Sunita found incredible form Emma Twig was back but you know you had a really phenomenal season coming off your you know your overtraining um, and chat to us about 2019 getting back in single getting back in the you know into those a finals racing and and how'd that go for you yeah it was it was a long road back to 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 some speed if i'm honest um so i started back up training but i had to take it pretty steady uh, initially and um my scores were awful obviously at the beginning because i was my heart rate was capped and i'd had you know a month of doing nothing and then a really slow build into things um and obviously in a single there's you know if you're not on if you're not on form and you haven't got the physical physical capabilities it's going to show in boat speed um you know there's no kind of hiding because you're the only one that's applying the power so um the start of the season it was definitely a bumpy um a bumpy ride i went to europeans and i kind of knew i wasn't on great form but i didn't you know i came away seventh which was you know, really pretty, you know, pretty bad um, at the time because, you know, you haven't even got, you know, the likes of Emma Cup to come back in and the American Scholar and all those. And you just think, well, I'm, if I'm seventh in Europe, there's still more people to come in. We're, you know, we're way off. We're way off the pace here. Um, I, but the thing is, at that point, my kind of my steady state kind of aerobic stuff was in a really good place, but it, I just was lacking like race fitness. So then, we kind of went on like a fast track to like, let's just, we need to do all the pieces like super hard and just get back that kind of that, um, that top end, that top end speed. And it gradually came back through the season. Like my results showed that I guess I was seventh at the Europeans and then, um, moved up. I think, um, the next regatta I made the final and kind of moved up through the, through the ranks. But it was, it was kind of, I really had to dig deep to my beliefs of, you are good enough um, as much as at the moment your results aren't really showing it. Um, you just need to, I, you know, I just need time to get that race fitness back. And, um, you know, I remember after the Rotterdam um, World Cup and I just missed out on a medal, but, you know, it wasn't a full field there. So I was thinking there's still a lot more people to come back into this field. Um and you know there wasn't you know you know i remember speaking to jürgen at the airport and he said okay vicky you, you know you go to uh the world championships but then um you know he was thinking that probably it was the end of the single journey for me and that i you know hopefully qualify 
the boat, but then it will be, you know, we'll look to something else. And I was like, hell no, like, um, I'm, I want to, you know, I'm taking this all the way. I just need, I just need more time. And these next two months, um, before the world championships, I'm going to give everything, uh, like every ounce of energy I've got to, to it. And I, you know, I kind of had a belief I will find the speed that, that I need. Um, like I wasn't, I was on the back foot, but I kind of had a deep down belief that I, I could find the speed. Um, and then it was all about those, you know, those two months really, really focused out on training camp in Varese. And, um, I was like, you know, I don't want to just go, I want to obviously qualify minimum, but I want to go there and prove that I'm quick enough to, to be challenging for a medal. And then, you know, therefore a medal at the games. And, and so that was the, that was the goal for those two months. And it, it went, you know, it went really well. And I found some more speed. Um, obviously Varese is a nice quick lake. So did some quick times on there, um, which was, gave me a bit of a confidence boost. Um, and then, yeah, the world championships was, uh, like you guys know, like Olympic qualification, whether that's at the world championships or the final Olympic qualification regatta, it's like the most stressful racing you'll ever really be a part of. And 2019 did not disappoint in terms of, you know, the caliber of the races and the athletes that in them across the board, across every boat class, it was like unbelievably fierce. And yeah, I remember seeing the entries of the women's singles come out and I was like, okay, that's quite a lot of people. That's a lot of people I have to beat to even qualify. Um, but again, it was just down to one wrong race at a time. Um, but it's important that you start the first race well, because that can determine what, how you're seeded into the quarterfinals. And then, you know, once you hit the quarterfinals, it's, it, you know, it's do or die. If you don't, if you mess up the quarterfinal, that that's, you're, at, you're not even in the AB semis and then you're not even in a position to qualify. So I had to make sure I started the regatta well. Um, and I did, and then it was, a, I did find it, probably the most nerve wracking eight days of my, um, career. Like I did find it pretty, um, yeah, pretty nerve wracking, but, um, it was all about the semi-final and making sure you get into the final. Cause if you're in the final, you've qualified. And so I was ecstatic obviously to qualify having come second in the, the semi. Um, and then the final was just about going out and seeing what I could deliver. And, I knew, you know, gold and silver were pretty much um, between uh, Sunita and Emma, and um, the American scholar was was quick, and I'd raced her in the the semi, and so I, kept, you know, we talked about a plan as to try and try and um, get over the top of her into the bronze medal position, and um, I did what we we set out to do, um, but it wasn't enough on the day. But look, like at the end of that regatta, it was hard finishing fourth, but from where I'd started the season, I was really really proud of um what Reedy and I had put together and the speed that we found in quite a short amount of time when I was really on the back foot so as much as it wasn't the result I wanted at the end it was we'd qualify the single um and to have a British single scholar qualify for the Olympics I think it was the first time in 20 years was was really great and it was yeah we did everything we possibly could in that year to to have the be like our best possible result in the at the world and I I believe that we we did that and we stepped up through the regatta uh, really well. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a very satisfying um, end to the season. Yeah, and I think it really shows you know your your caliber of, of an athlete coming from a year where it's you know it's it, it's different. I feel like when you when you have a physical injury that you know puts you out of something, whereas this overtraining syndrome, it's really tricky because 
you know, you it's it's not it's not a black and white thing where okay, you broke your leg, now you have to take time off. It's 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 more of like a gray area, and you have to take it as it comes, and you you're trying to figure out, you know, av- unraveling the the bits that you know led you down the, the wrong path, and to to go through that situation and then hit 2019 and still you know, get into those A finals and qualify the boat, you know, that that itself is phenomenal. And I think it really does show the color of athletes you are. But um, moving on, maybe quickly, Victoria, just touch on, you know, where you at the moment, obviously 2020 was disaster year. We got to write that one off in the books, but chat to us a bit about where you are and, you know, what's, what's the mindset going into Tokyo? Will we be seeing you uh, shortly at European Championships? And, you know, give us give us a, some sort of idea on what Victoria Thorny is up to. Yeah, like you say, 2020 was a bit of a nightmare year um, in, like, rowing terms, global terms, everything. Um, well, we had a long period of lockdown here in the UK. Um, and in that period of lockdown, I managed to fall off, well, get knocked off my bike and break my elbow which wasn't ideal, um, but that's all fixed now. And I still was able to train hard on the um, the indoor bike. So nothing was really lost there. It was just about making sure I rehabbed it properly. And um, I'm back in the boat and pulling on the ergo now and doing weights. So everything's, everything's in a good place uh, for the start of this next season, Olympic uh, year times um, take two. Um and so, yeah, we as um, the, uh, as a nation, Britain, aren't racing at the Europeans. Um, I think it was just agreed that we weren't sure what the situation would be um, in terms of COVID and everything. So uh, we decided not to race the Europeans and just train how we normally would through the early part of the winter. Um, so we're just back in, we're back at Caversham now, our training base um, and, and training, but we're in small bubbles because obviously we're quite a big team. So we're in uh, three different bubbles. Um, so it's the women's scholars and men's scholars are in a in a small bubble together. And so we're just uh, splitting training times, doing some training at home still, um, but then doing our water and um, water sessions and some ergo sessions and weights down at Caversham. Um, so yeah, it's great to be back with the squad um, and um, looking forward to you know you know doing the olympic year again like obviously it was we, we were all we basically got selected as the olympic squad and then that day we basically sent home and lockdown happened so uh we got selected like i'm sure you guys did and then it was then it was like okay um the olympics isn't happening um and we didn't see you know we didn't see each other and the teammates for for ages and so it's been really great to be back training again with everybody um and having that that, that team team around us again so um so yeah, obviously eyes firmly on Tokyo 2021 and um, making sure that I have a have a good winter's training and um, build build some speed to to that. Definitely, and I mean, you know, everyone is so excited to to race again. I'm sure that, uh, that for you, it's it's just getting so itchy to to get back to to rowing, get back to racing, and and getting back to like a, a normal uh, season, hopefully coming up. So. I think we're going to leave it on that uh, from the rowing side, and that brings us to the end part of our of our chat, which is our quick fire questions. And uh, much sure of you listened to to any of the other episodes, but these are a set of questions that we ask all the guests on the show, and you can interpret them whichever which way you like and answer them however which way you feel. So the first question is: If you could race any boat class at the games, what would it be? 
Ah, uh, the singles. That's my. That's uh, yeah. Always been a. Always kind of been a dream early in my career, and now, um, yeah, it's still definitely that's the that's the boat I want to race uh, the Olympics in. Definitely, that's a that would be a, an easy question uh, for you to to take on. And um, Jake, you want to go on to the next one? Yeah. So the next one here is if you could choose any three people from any time and from anywhere around the world to race in a coxless quad with, who would your three crewmates be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think I'll pick um, some female single scholars that um, it would just be great to be in a boat with. So I've got to say um, a Katarina Carsten, just because, you know, she's a legend of single sculling or the legend of single sculling. Uh, yeah, I have massive respect for her longevity, um, especially in the boat class like the single. It's insane. Um, and probably Nikova would be um, one of the others just because she did that insane time in 2002, um, which obviously then makes um, my life a bit difficult in terms of um, training training times. But um, yeah, she's just 707, so I'd love just to be in a boat with her. And she obviously um, is a phenomenal athlete, so that would be my second choice. And then I think third would be uh, Merkinapkova. Um, she's a lovely girl. She's done. She's been down training at Leander in previous years, um, and I love the way she sculls. It's very. It looks always looks really effortless, and um, so I'd love to just to feel what her. Um, what it feels like to row in a boat with her. So I think they're my three. Yeah, what a cool group. I think uh, that would be that would be such an awesome row out and, and such a cool race uh, to see to see that hit the water. So the next question is: What is your favourite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Uh, it doesn't have to be one of your races. Um. So in terms of a singles race, um. I think, oh, I think it'd have to. Is it, it's between 2000 and 2004. Um, 2000 was obviously the was just really tight finish between Carson and Nikova, but then the 2004 race, um, Sobrowski and just how she sculled that um, was incredible. So that one, in terms of like te- technical, technically looking at how she how she moves the boat, um, I I look to that a lot um, in terms of how to move a boat well, and then. Um, in terms of just out and out race, in terms of what an incredible race it was, was 2004 as well. But the men's coxless four, it was the Canadians versus Britain. And it was literally like the lead changed about four times over the course of the, the race. And it was just like such a tight, um, tight finish. And so that was in terms of on the edge of your seat race. That's, um, that's why I love watching, watching back. I have watched it many times, and we've had the pri- privilege of, of speaking to Jake Vetzel from Canada, who was smack oh. bang in the middle of that falls race. But um, sadly, we haven't spoken to um, Ekaterina, and that's a huge person we would love to chat to. Um, I think, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, we just, you know, I just, I don't know how good her English is, and I wish if I could, you know, if I could speak her, her mother tongue, I'd love to have a conversation with her about rowing, because she is an absolute legend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the next question is, and this one is, is a real, you've got some fantastic answers to this, is if you were in charge at World, at world Rowing, what would you change? Oof. Um, 
I would I just think it would be great if we made more made more of a spectacle of rowing and made it more um kind of uh, spectator friendly so um have more interaction with the athletes you know like how you do how they do athletics and things like that you know interviews pre and post racing and um and that kind of thing uh, obviously they started um doing a little bit of that in terms of on the the start line in 2019 the world championships um but i think there's such amazing characters in rowing and i think they're not um they're not going to put out into the into the public eye as much as they should be because they there is you know like i said the characters are um amazing and so i think just making it more uh, spectator friendly and kind of more interactive with the athletes um would be a really good way to um kind of i just i think make it more um more, just pop, more popular as well amongst um non-rowers because it's generally you know very um small amount of people that watch rowing apart from at the olympics so i think it would just make it a, a more popular sport overall which would be which would be awesome for the athletes and everyone involved sure um good changes i think that's uh that's always a, such a cool question to to hear what people's view of of board rowing is and, and what they would like to see so the next one is for all the schoolgirls out there that are aspiring to to be like uh, vicky thornley and, and want to know what your 2k pb on the ergo is <laughs> uh yeah you're right everyone does ask you that um like school kids and university rowers um yeah my pb is 641 um so yeah still striving for that sub uh 640 marker nice though that's still, uh, still very you. fast yeah we always this this question always astonishes me on how you know what's you know the capacity of you know top class athletes what they produce on the on the two kilometer it's definitely a a, a good indicator of of what the what the best in the world are doing yeah absolutely and there's been some incredible times done in recent years on the men and women's side um and yeah it's obviously a big a big part of um overall performance so it's always a, a big a big one that you want to get a big score on so still striving for for faster but isn't everybody <laughs> of course and then so to end off and i know you've you've dabbled a bit in the equestrian sporting world but if you had to choose a different sport to go to the olympics in what would it be and why um i would have to say tennis because um it's, I think it's an amazing sport in terms of um, we'll definitely get to play more than um, and compete more than you do in rowing. So that's good. Um, and also, you know, it's a bit more lucrative than rowing. Um, the outfits are great. Um, and so, yeah, you don't just have to wear Lycra. So that's good. Um, so, yeah, I think tennis. Um, love the sport, but I'm definitely not. Uh, that's why I'm a rower because I'm not very good at ball sports. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'd have to say tennis. Sure, that's a really that's a really good answer actually. Because you know what I what I like about tennis is it takes out the like physical pain of rowing, but it also is like the most insanely competitive sport. And like the the mental game you have to have on the on the composure is, is so insane because the thing can swing so quickly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean that's a really that's a really good good uh, good answer. Yeah, especially over like you know, five hours or sometimes they play for, and you think, the, yeah, the mental agility you've got to have when you're like 
two sets down or a set up or whatever. You just they go through must go through such a roller coaster. It's always very impressive when you see how they deal with that for yeah, sure. Really, really crazy. So definitely, and this this brings us this brings us to you know the end of our uh, interview. Again, thanks so much for coming on the show, Victoria. But before we we leave. Um, we would like to give you, you know, a minute, two minutes, whatever, for you to just let the, our listeners uh, out there, where can they find you? What are you up to? You know, what are your other pursuits? Um, I know you have a website, so, you know, you can let them know where, where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I have a website, um, victoriathornley.com. Um, I put on some blogs on there and also um, I'm really – keen um foodie so I've put a lot of recipes that i enjoy on there as well um so you can keep a little bit up to date with me on there and i'm also on instagram vicky thorny gb as well as twitter under the same handle um and yeah just um instagram is probably the most up to date um that i keep um in terms of what i'm doing day to day so yeah that's where you can find me awesome stuff and yeah there's a huge thank you from uh, me and jake for, for giving us a huge chunk of your time yeah and- Hopefully we can have a follow-up episode uh, after 2021 sometime to to go on the, the next part of the, the story and the next part of the journey. That would be great. Thanks for having me, guys, and good luck with your training and preparation for next year. So that's a wrap for part two of Victoria Thornley and and yeah, the whole episode of, of her. So I really hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We thought that was such a brilliant episode another huge uh, single skull name to the to the bank and yeah really really epic to to hear what uh, vicky had to say yeah i also enjoyed it it was it was good to get a, another person from great britain um always have interesting really rich uh, culture and heritage from that nation so it's always great having athletes from gb on the show and uh, yeah that's uh, that's a wrap for us guys don't forget please go support us on all our social media tags and you can also support the ratio on paypal which you can find in our link in our bio on our instagram and uh, soundcloud but yeah besides that um, yeah this is jake thanks for listening nice dude yeah thanks guys thanks for tuning in and until next time we have some really cool stuff coming up for you guys in the next few episodes so stay tuned and that's it for us we're out cheers It's, it's kind of, oh, so, sorry, that's my no doorbell, way. hang on. <laughs> uh, it's just a delivery, sorry, I'll have to, you'll have to cut this bit, sorry. No stress. No worries. It's all good, we've got plenty of, plenty of time. <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe it was going to be a drug-free sport and then uh, then we're going to have to reschedule. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that would have been bad. No, he's, he's left it outside, so that's fine.